HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And while some may think of salt as a humble or ubiquitous ingredient, you know, always close at hand, a little shake here or a sprinkle here on top of your food, it has been throughout history one of the most sought-after minerals, the essential mineral that we need to live. Salt was really the first commodity. Ancient Romans were paid their wages in salt, hence the word salary, and so valued that a custom from the, I think, the medieval times, or early, at least early Renaissance, in dinner seating arrangements has one's importance designated as to whether they're seated above the salt, the salt cellar being placed towards the middle of the table, so either being seated above the salt, closer to the nobility at the head of the table, or below the salt because you weren't quite as important. <laughs> Accounts and books have been written about salt, and now we've added, we have a new one added to our list, and it's complete with recipes. Naomi DeGood has written fabulous books that are not only history and gastronomic adventures, but travelogues as well. She's also a photographer, which makes them so beautiful to, to read as well as look at. In her newest book, the Miracle of Salt, Recipes and Techniques to Preserve, Ferment, and Transform Your Food. She focuses on the one ingredient, salt, and the essential role it has served for millennia in just that, preserving, fermenting, and transforming our food. Naomi is a writer, as I said, a photographer, a traveler, a wide, has traveled far and wide, always traveling, it seems to me, <laughs> and a home cook. Her recent cookbook is uh, the one just prior to this, The Taste of Persia, is a winner of a James Beard Award, an IACP Book Award, a Taste of Canada Award. And her book, Burma Rivers of, R Burma, Rivers of Flavor, is also an IACP Cook Award, Book Award and Taste of Canada Award. Her six previous award-winning titles, uh, co-authored with Jeffrey Alford, also include two new, now classic cookbooks that won the James Beard Award for Cookbook of the Year. And I just, I'm glancing down at your bio here, Naomi, and it just the list goes on. But uh, suffice it to say that she has written beautiful books, important books, and she is also. Um, leads small group food immersive trips to the Republic of Georgia and elsewhere. She's a trustee of the Oxford Symposium on Food and Cookery and is a frequent guest speaker and presenter at food conferences, particularly those focused on grains. She lives in Toronto and joins me from there today, thanks to the wonder of remote recording. Welcome, Naomi. You know, there was a something written by your publisher, the blur at the end of the um, the book jacket blurb, um, that I just it 
just captures everything I think that is in this in this book. And it's they it is said working with salt preserved and salt fermented ingredients not only opens up a rich new world of flavors and techniques, but also offers cooks the gift of connecting with generations of culinary wisdom. And that I mean, this book really brings that um, to light because. Not only, I mean, yes, it's a book with recipes, but I find that the stories and the history um, and the background of salt, as well as the photographs, are just, you know, they really take center stage for me. Not that I won't use the recipes, because I certainly will. I've got a few earmarked already. Um, but uh, first of all, how, I mean, did you travel all a new, you didn't travel a new for this book completely because you are there's so many places covered a lot of these i notice a lot of your previous travels you were able to incorporate their use of salt as well tell me a little bit about how you came to write the book oh linda i'm i mustn't forget before the end of this interview to ask you which ones you have which recipes you've earmarked because i'm really okay. curious but, <laughs> but anyway I will tell you. Uh, to go <laughs> to go back to the sort of beginnings uh you know, it's really interesting. I, you know, I'm really interested in staple foods. And uh, so that first book, Flatbreads, and second book, um, Seductions of Rice, that I wrote with Jeffrey Alfred, they're about staple foods. They're about necessity, about, you know, things that people eat every day, um, and often about people living in situations or recipes that arise in places where people don't have many food choices and have to improvise and be creative within a narrow spectrum. And so salt salt is is sort of the same thing, in other words, a daily necessity, actually a daily necessity for us all, um, and especially if we are eating plants. But it's also, and it goes back through history, and it's when I actually, when the idea sort of, the bubble of the idea rose in my mind, which was sometime after just after the Persia book was published, um, I thought, what's taken me so long to come to this idea? Because it's of course so exciting. It's so it's so juicy. I mean, that's a that's an oxymoronic word because <laughs> salt is takes the juice out of things. But um, but it's so juicy. It's so full of possibility. And so uh, my only difficulty in the first couple of years of thinking about it, working on it, was figuring out how to wrestle it into an interesting, usable shape. I knew I didn't want it. Mark Kurlansky's written a book about sort of stories about salt. I mean, the history of salt, especially with the mm -hmm. Europe focus. Um, I didn't want to do that. Um, I did want recipes. I wanted it to be usable. And I wanted people to, to see salt afresh you know, to sort of, instead of that box of white stuff that we pay really nothing for, our daily salt, I wanted them to, okay, there's still that box, and we're still then now lucky to have access to affordable salt. Or gourmet salt salts, as we yeah, to, to salt, Yeah, to, to salt our pasta water or to, you know, uh, lift the flavor of a soup. But, but I also wanted them to appreciate the labor and human ingenuity that had gone into making salt in earlier times. In the content, and also the ingenuity in using salt to preserve foods. You know, we have seasons of, of plenty. You know, the summer where we're overloaded with, you know, the, the classic one is zucchinis, but, but really <laughs> in the fall with cabbages. And, and when, uh, if you're a farmer and have the pig that you're slaughtering in the fall or whatever, or the milk from the cow in the summer, how do we preserve it? And salt is really, apart from just sun drying, which isn't accessible to everyone. Salt is that first thing that humans learn to turn to, to preserve extra over overabundance of food so that when the winter or the dry season or the whatever, the season of, of famine, potential famine comes, there's a store of, of preserved safe-to-eat food that we can rely on. And you think, wow, that is actually, this is the story of human survival. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so again, how to make it not sort of portentous and momentous, but just kind of thrilling. And so that's where I thought, okay, I need recipes for sort of how to, you know, make, say, kimchi or make preserved lemons or sauerkraut or whatever. 
But I also need recipes that make use of these ingredients that other people have figured out that you can buy in the store. You don't have to make your own. It's fun to make your own. but And and then think, oh, I, I, I hadn't really thought that that puttanesca that I love is actually full of flavor and I love it because it's got all these wonderful salt-preserved and salt uh, salt-preserved ingredients, giving it oof, you know, the right. anchovies, the olives. And so it was kind of trying to tie together present flavors and possibilities with, you know, with history. Anyway, that, that sort of, <laughs> that's where I got to. <laughs> and then I, yes, I could draw on earlier travels to, there's photographs from Senegal where I went for the rice book, for example, and mm-hmm. uh, photographs from Southern Thailand were taken quite a long time ago. And then I did do some travels specifically for the book until travel stopped in the spring of 2020. Right, right. Well, it, I mean, it, it, it really is, it, as I say, it, it did capture that importance of salt. Um, it does, the book does. Uh, and as far as uh, fermentation and preservation, I mean, fermentation is such a I hate to say trendy thing now because it's something but it is it's, 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 it's it is it has it's arisen again right. you it's, mentioned about the, we've, right, we've retrieved salt, it things. yeah we've retrieved right. it yeah mm-hmm. and it's it, it is some of the fermentation that you you know you talk about in here is just it's really quite astounding things that can be done with salt um but what i want to the go back to are the different places that you highlighted, as you said, mostly areas that, you know, have limited, um, let's say limited dietary choices or, or seasons. Resources. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Resources. Um, but also the techniques, the harvesting techniques are very different depending on, on the location. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. It's, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, I really, I, I, I love understanding these physical processes. And so I kind of, you know, I geek out. I mean, and uh, as with other other of my books, where say the geography or the history had to go in the back here, there's some technical stuff in the front of the book just to get people tuned in to various ways of harvesting salt. But the back of the book is is has got much more detail. And in the editing process, you know, there's a limit on the pages that are publishers prepared yeah, to right. spend, right? And it was like, do we even need all this? And I said, we, yeah, we do. <laughs> you know, I, I'm wordy. I know I'm wordy. But <laughs> seriously, we do because it's so amazing. If you think about there's salt that's, you know, hard, like the old, the proverbial salt mine. Let's go back to the salt mine, you know, when you have to go back to work. But most salt actually presents itself uh, dissolved in water. So there's the brine in the ocean. But there's also salt wells in the middle of land masses. There will be salt wells, like in 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 Southeast Asia. There's salt wells in a lot of the valleys in in Burma and Thailand, for example. So and uh, so, how do you how do you get the salt out of the water? Well, you have to make the water go away. In other words, you have to evaporate it. And how do you do that? Well, if you have sunshine, as they do along the Atlantic coast of Brittany or around the Mediterranean, you know you. People figured out, early people figured out how to make shallow ponds and let the sun and the wind evaporate the water, leaving the salt. But if you don't have that luck of uh, sunshine, um, which, for example, they don't have really in Japan, it's the summer season is hot, but it's rainy. And further in northern places, there isn't much sun. Um, then you have to boil the water. And so, in other words, there has to be energy go into it from Mother Nature, mm-hmm. either from, you know, wood and or coal or now gas, natural gas, or from the sun. That's, a, that's an expensive process. And so people have figured out all kinds of ways of trying to, um, what's the word, um, make the brine uh, more salty, uh, concentrate the brine before boiling it so that they wouldn't need as much boiling to get rid of the water. And wow, it, it's, it's an extraordinary thing, really, from this woman who, who was gathering mud by the river in Senegal, whom I met, um, and it's a tidal river, so the, the sand, the mud, was infused with salt from the, from the tides, and then she'd rinse it with more tidal water, and then she'd boil that, and they do a similar thing in Japan, in a larger scale and more elegantly, that was a traditional way of doing it. Uh, it's just 
it's mind-boggling. And to think that it was so necessary for people to figure this out, you know, um, because we need salt to to survive. Unless we're right. eating straight meat. If we're eating meat right. animals, then the blood of the animals, the animals have found salt. There's salt in their blood and we can get by. But as soon as we're eating plants and having agriculture, thinking of early, early humans, then salt's a necessity. And so often here, early humans followed the animals to the salt licks. Ah, there's the salt. You know, that's, they, everybody was in search of the same thing. That's right. That's right. Uh, in the salt mines, um, whether it's harvesting, the panning for the salt and the, and, you know, as you just described or, or at work in the salt mines, it's, you know, employed, uh, wherever those existed, employed, thousands millions of of people um well yeah and didn't and of course it's it's per volume salt is not valuable i mean it's essential but it's not you know it's not a it's not gold and so all those people are you know paid badly for really pretty onerous labor right. and uh that's another thing it's sort of the, on the shoulders of laborers uh uh that's that's where our salt uh came from the labor of 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 all kinds of people yeah, I was struck uh, just some of the the beauty of the of the areas on the front of the book. You know, not the jacket, not the book jacket, but the actual hard copy of the book. Oh, the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's they just the they look these all these ponds that just stretch for miles and miles. Or not yeah, miles, they're they're that's you know. in that's in Maras in in um, in Peru which is uh, an extraordinary environment. You're up high in the Altiplano near Cusco, about 60 miles from Cusco, and there's a steep valley, but up on the height is where there's a salt spring. In other words, water coming out of the ground, but it's salty. It must be passing past a a salt deposit way down deep somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so from the time of the Incas, from before the time of the Incas, people say, um, people exploited that salt well for salt and they did it by making terraces down the steep hillsides, if you think of rice terraces, uh, except instead of the greenery of a rice terrace, you've got the color of the of the earth, which is a bit reddish, and then the white of the salt ponds dotted down the hillside. It's an extraordinary, it's one of the most incredible physical environments I've ever been in. A little bit yeah. scary for someone like me who has vertigo, as I was <laughs> walking between the ponds, wanting to take photographs and thinking, Yikes! You know, I I don't want this to end. I want to go on being here, but how long can I hold myself together before I think I'm too I'm paralyzed with fear? Because it's steep, and also I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to wreck. I mean, this is this is people's work making. It's just again like rice terraces. You know, they have to have the walls solid, and um, and anyway, and the people told me there that it takes about forty five days. They fill up. Everyone has their own pond or two small ponds, and they let the water in, salt water, and then in about 45 days, they can count on having salt, except that these days, the rainfall pattern is changing. And so, of course, if it rains and you've got, you've got some, uh, you know, you've got it, uh, the dilution down and then it rains, it gets diluted again and you lose time. And so it takes longer for the salt to be to be oh. to be there. Anyway, it was just a fascinating environment, a reminder that the world is a huge place and and all we can ever do is is try and appreciate the part of it we are lucky enough to to get to. Right. And then and then here in you know in the western world, we can just walk into a they have stores devoted to salt, right? You yes. can walk yes. into a, a salt store and yep. and see rows and rows and shelves of all different kinds of salts and flavors and colors, um, yes, colors and and texture and and different size crystals and, um, but I'm I'm really concerned. I mean, concerned, interested and intrigued by the colors and ah. you know, obviously you see this is comes from nature and but what really what do we attribute? Uh, well, sometimes human intervention too. Sometimes mm. human intervention. So. Um, I haven't actually been to where the Hawaiian salt is is produced, mm-hmm. but but it's reddish. But I'm I read and I'm told that it's tinted with some uh, after it's um, after it's extracted from the water. It's tinted with sort of some volcanic soil, and so it's a bit reddish. And so there's minerals in that, 
Um, but I, 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 that's not reliable because I, in the sense that I haven't seen it. So I can't say, yes, <laughs> I know for sure. Um, the one, the red, uh, the pink salt that has been so brilliantly marketed from the Cura mine in, in Pakistan, it's a very deep mine. Uh, it's one of the largest mines in the world. Uh, and that has some trace minerals. There's pink in the salt that comes out of Lac Rose in Senegal. Um, and those are little minuscule microscopic um, uh, cr critters, you know, mm. uh, live, live creatures. And they, they fade, the pink fades after a couple of days. Um, once they're out of, once the salt's out of the water, um, and people, uh, there may be extra, you know, positive properties from these, but these are all trace, trace elements, um, in the salt. And most, I mean, salt is generally, you know, sodium chloride, and it may have a few extra things in it, of, um, if it hasn't been, uh, completely processed, you know, the very white processed salt has every all the other trace elements are taken out of it. And then table salt, of course, has iodine ba added back into it, anti-caking agents, a little bit of sugar, um, but uh but sort of and a gray sea salt will have gray from often from the, the color of the clay in the beds where the salt water was you know evaporating. So this, you know, it, it's but these are micros you know, sort of minuscule proportions of these colors. Then you can add color to your salt by mixing in, you know, kind of anything. I have, um, you know, there's, you can do a pepper salt, for example, and a pepper salt I made the other day in an online Zoom class. Uh, I've found myself using it a lot because it was out. I just made it and, you know, dried, dried red chilies, black pepper and Sichuan pepper mixed in with salt. And suddenly it's got, you've got this sort of pinky color and of course it's got extra flavor. So, you mm. know, there's lots of ways of coloring salt and That's some right. of them well, bring and flavor. Not only, and not only coloring salt, but I was going to say, and the flavor. And you mm -hmm. do describe um, your salt larder and, and you have a lot of wonderful recipes for flavor, I don't want to say flavored salts, but flavor combinations, things, mm -hmm. ways that you can, and that become part of your, 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 your spice cabinet, really. Uh, well, yeah, and I think of it as the whole the salt larder generally, or a, it's really a flavor larder. But yeah, absolutely. And one of them, I I, I learned originally from a friend named uh, Simon Thibault, who's got, uh, who who wrote a book about called the Acadian called it, it's a, about the Acadian pantry and Acadian tradition in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and um, and it's salted uh, scallions. And so, if I you love picture, that. that's that's it's one of very, that's isn't the first pretty? recipe. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of your that's one of your one right. of your earmarks. And so, it's you chop uh, uh, scallions, green onions, as we call them here in Canada, and um, up including the green, and then mix them with salt, and then sort of some more salt and some more, so that uh, then you put them in a jar, and that's it. Uh, then they're there, and if you picture the Acadians in. Nova Scotia in the dark of winter, and they didn't have much, and they certainly didn't have any imported vegetables from you know California. Um, that was their green and their flavor that in a jar that they could have all winter, so cooks could use it to season. I mean, it's a seasoning and a flavoring, but also I think it must also have been a a seasoning for the for the vine's eye, a reminder that. There is green in the world, and there will be green again. You know, um, right. that's how I think of it. Well, that's why I'm. I'm I mean, I'm. I make salted lemons. You know, preserved. Ah, uh -huh, you do. Oh, good. Uh -huh. Every season because it just adds that jar. It perks just like you, you said, up. Adds up. Yes. yes, it adds that jar yeah. of bright yellow to my counter. You know, uh -huh. every time I look at it, and also the salted red chilies. I mean, if I don't yeah. have salted red chilies around, I hear about it. Aha! <laughs> so. uh -huh. Yes. Well, that's yeah. where households um, households have their. You know, there. For example, I have a green. There's a green mango chutney, and most mango chutneys are sweet that that we're acquainted with. I mean, those are the ones that generally have reached us from the Indian subcontinent. But this is a salted one, and it's so delicious. And the problem with it is that, um, you know, it gets eaten. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then there's well, yes, but we're running low. 
Well, actually, there aren't <laughs> any green mangoes around right now. Sorry, guys, I can't, you know, I have to wait until there's some green mangoes, which will be in the spring, and um, and some sunshine because they have to sort of dry out a little in the sun before the uh, before the, the chutney's made. But it's one of those, yeah, I, what, I, I hear about it like you do. Right. Um, in your personal use, what what is what are some of the flavors, the flavored blends that you go to most commonly? Or most frequently. Well, I think those the the onion salé, the the salted scallions for sure. I rub them on um, I rub them on a chicken before roasting it, for example. The salted lemons, absolutely. Um, sauerkraut, I love choucroute, so I I'll heat a little. I'll have a jar of sauerkraut. I mean, I always have a jar or two of sauerkraut around, and they it keeps a long time, so you don't have to refrigerate it until it's open. Um, and even then, it probably is fine, but I do refrigerate it. And I, I just heat it in a little duck fat or goose fat or anything, really, um, and have it as a side. And then the other thing that was a big discovery for me for this book was shiokoji. Um, that's I was in a Japan. That's a, it, that, and it's that a whole a fascinating, thing. Right, fascinating yeah, it's process. A whole thing. Right. And, and I, I was in Japan and, and staying with a friend, and a friend of hers came over and taught us both. My friend I was staying with had been living there for 35 years, but she'd never made it. So this Japanese friend of hers brought over already cooked rice, but still hot. Still, And she brought over measured out amounts, the correct proportions of koji, which is koji granules. They were like a dr- the equivalent of like a dry yeast. Um, they were rice, rice that's being cooked, inoculated with aspergillus spores and then dried out. So it's stable. She she brought us that and salt in the right proportions. We mixed them all together, pretty simple. And <laughs> uh, and then, you know, a month later in a jar, you have this brilliant transforming thing. And you think, well, how can that be so special? Well, well, it just is. It adds a new mommy. And when I when I smear a little on on a fillet of fish before grilling it, for example. And that's seasoning and also just adds this extra thing. People will say, what did you put on this fish? And I'll say, just a little shiokoji because it just, there's a something. And I think it's a secret ingredient in the way that, I mean, it's that adding umami in the way that chefs were using soy sauce and fish sauce long before, you know, the rest of us kind of came to them as things we could use in our, in any kind of food as a heightener of flavor. You know, it's, it's a really... It's sort of a gorilla, gorilla I mean, G-U-E-R, you know, gorilla, uh, gorilla seasoning. It's sort of undercover. And uh, you don't want to know it. You don't want, like salt, you don't want to taste it. If you're tasting it specifically, it's too much salt. So all of these are subtle cook assists that basically raise the level of everything you make to just even more delicious. That I mean, that's sort of how I'm feeling. As you mentioned, yeah. adding that extra umami flavor. That, yeah, you know, and so green. even if you have a rather ho hummish version of a vegetable because it's winter and oh, you bought it at the supermarket because that's all there was, but you wanted to whatever whatever it is, you know, if you have extra umami from a from a salt larder ingredient, um, you know, store bought or something you've made, it just your your vegetable is is enhanced you know yeah. and uh and you and you also sort of have that feeling of oh yeah i i did that you know i i made well, more of that the, than it offered you know right and that what that intrigued me so much that is one of the blends i'm going to try my hand at to try to make i i do have a japanese a korean actually store uh down oh the, good yeah down the block well, so i can get the koji you know already yeah. made i don't have to the rice koji and, and then it's right. really it's it's really You'll find it, and you just keep the jar in the fridge. And uh, mine's—I I know I need to make some more before Christmas because mine's running low. And I—I I give some away too because I sort of think I want to get the word out. This is so delicious, you know. Well, um, something that I made uh, from your Persia book, the ajika. Mm-hmm. Um, I made the red ajika, but you uh-huh. have a recipe. Yep. You include a recipe for the green ajika in yes. this book. Yeah. And c- talk about that a little bit. That I have to tell you. It well, when you make it, it just you automatically have to make a lot. So you make a big batch you of make a it. Lot. Yes, right, right. And then and, you can give it away or you can eat right. it. Right. And you yes. give it away and you still end up with a lot. But it I was able to keep it in the refrigerator. Um yep. for it's amazing. 
it had stayed in there for the longest time. I kept thinking, hmm, has this gone bad? Hmm, has this gone bad? No. And I finally no. used the end of it. Now it's time to make another one. So I was so and glad yes. to to get to get this and try my hand now with the green one. Um, and the green one is that. wonderful. It's, yeah, it, describe well, it's, that for us. Well, it, Ajika comes from, uh, you know, the Republic of Georgia is sort of in the Caucasus and, and, and there are valleys in the Caucasus, sort of on the eastern edge of Turkey, between Turkey and Russia. So it's been between empires forever. And um, so uh, there's different versions of Ajika, but basically it's it's a kind of like a very sophisticated version of the salted scallions I talked about earlier. You take ingredients that are at their peak of ripeness and readiness from the summer you and you combine them with quite a lot of salt um and you end up with something that's got flavor and intensity that keeps all winter and that and that also keeps your 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 imagination alive so the green ajika has um has herbs and uh her- herb seeds and so on and the heat in it because there is heat comes from dried red chilies that are soaked and then the seeds are broke uh, taken out and then they're ground, so it's a it's a paste and kind of a medium to dark green paste. But there's there's you can put various things in it, but it's coriander, cilantro, uh, and uh, mint and um, celery seeds. Sometimes dill 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 leaf and dill seeds or dill frond and dill seeds. It's just it's just a wonderfully refreshing. One of my kids, um, he's visiting right now, and he's I know he's going to say. Surely there's a jar of green ajika I can take back to Vancouver with me. <laughs> of course, yeah. the thing I should be saying to him is, so why aren't you making your own? But with a young baby, I don't think he's going to. Uh, yeah. But anyway, and of course, it's ideal to make it in the summer when you've got all of that freshness. But in, in good groceries, you can find most of that now. And yeah. I just... But when uh, you want a little heat, when you want a little heat. A little heat and, and aromatic, aromatic sort of herbal aroma as well. It's, it's right. Well, as I was preparing for, to talk to you and reading through the book and, and looking at, you know, the different recipes, I went, ah, Svan salt, um, another, George, mm-hmm. uh, another salt from Georgia. Georgia, and I, that's right. Right. And I said, whoa, I think I still have some left. My daughter-in-law, when she came back, she made from Georgia, she made a a, um, a batch of it. Oh, good. Um, Svanetti salt. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh-huh. but, in, indeed, there was still some left. And I said, oh, I hope it's still good again. So I just took it. I just needed a little extra pizzazz. I didn't have time to make an elaborate yeah. dinner. I had a little extra pizzazz on, put it on a, uh, rub down a pork loin with it. And yeah, excellent oh, idea. Transformed yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Transformed yeah. it. So, and what I love about it, talk about some of those. You said, oh, it's got some aromatics. Things that we don't usually have in our pantry, our larder, um, that they use. I'm thinking, oh, the powdered marigold or, or you know. Ah, uh, yes. Well, now we're into deep into sort of Georgia and Eastern Turkish things. You can get yes. uh, you can get powdered marigold or, I mean, at Turkish grocery stores. If you're in New York, of course, you can go to Kalustians and Kalustians, find everything under yes. the sun uh, uh, on Lexington. Uh, but, uh, and also actually he sells there, um, Aziz sells, um, all kinds of Georgian ingredients, and he sells, I think, even Svanetian salt, a version of it. But there's, you know, there's other, there's a salt from from the hills in India, which is sort of the same idea. In other words, it's take people for whom salt was a a hard, it was hard to get because it required a trip over the mountains. So my theory about these flavored salts that are quite complex flavored salts is that it's a way of making the salt go further. You know, it's like right. dumplings. If you put a little bit of meat in a lot of dough, you everybody's had some meat, even though you know you you extend the meat. And similarly, if you have something that's salt with a lot of garlic and other flavorings, um, then it extends the salt. And uh, right. so it, uh, they're very interesting. And uh, you know, this it's and that's why I think this this world of of salt flavorings is well, it's sort of endless. I feel like I've just cherry picked a few wonderful things and the same mm-hmm. with the preserved meats you know there's basturma and a uh, corned beef Best, and, and you know basturma that, is that you asked about a recipe basturma is the other recipe that i want to try oh is that oh good yeah oh that's yeah, yeah. really excellent you have to let me yeah. know how it goes because it's really <laughs> well uh, wonderful we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about more of these recipes and more uh, more things salt when we come back after a short break so stay tuned 
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Okay, welcome back. I'm speaking with uh, Naomi DeGood and talking about salt from her new book, The Miracle of Salt, Recipes and Techniques to Preserve, Ferment, and Transform Your Food. Uh, that you, We were talking about the salt larder, larder and all the different flavored salts and the popularity of them. And I think, in a sense, you were talking about how you can make a little bit go a long way. Um, you can stretch the food with the, with the flavored salts. And I think it's also an interesting idea and concept for those who have to, um, for health reasons, limit their, well, we should all keep an eye on our intake of salt, but limit their intake of salt. I think these flavored salts, you just need a little bit and you can, you know, it it extends the taste of the salt. And Yeah, it really does. It's yeah. it's a very interesting thing. And and it's, it's uh, yeah, it's something to... Absolutely, it's it's something to explore for people who are trying to cut back. If you have other intense flavors along with a tiny bit of salt, it it can kind of uh, it can it can cope with the gap that you're having to to leave, you know, in for your for your taste of, for salt. Right. Uh, we you had mentioned that something was you know was interesting that you had found and hadn't learned before. Is there anything that you came across um, or a recipe that you you know, just had to include that perhaps was different, something totally unusual that you said, oh, I didn't know salt could do this um, as far as preserving or fermenting or I, 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 I happened upon all kinds of different things I know, but um, I don't know. Is there anything that, well, that struck well, you? Well, I was different? really, I was, I was happy. I had never made miso before. And so mm. just the, just embarking on making miso. Um, and I talk in the book about the nerve, you know, the, the nerves you can have about something, anxiety about something where mm-hmm. you're putting it in a, a jar or a pot or something and not going to look at it for a while. You know, am I messing this up? I, I have no way of adjusting it. I don't know anything about this. What am I doing? Um, and so I wanted people to have confidence that I'd trod that trail of, you know, ignorance into into understanding and that they would could trust what I was saying, you know. So in general, just discovering confidence was a huge thing and this confidence with the meats as well. And that's why I put the duck breast prosciutto in there because it's small and easy to do. Mm-hmm. And you can think, oh, I did this. This worked. Now I'm prepared to take on salt pork, for example. You know, it's a, you can work your way into confidence. But I love right. the rye. I want to say I love the rye bread miso. That was new to be able to reuse old bread mm-hmm. and turn it into miso was very fun. Yeah, that was and the, that whole the whole section on on miso was was very interesting and very good. And I would say, just like you know, flavored salts, I just I find myself dipping into my you know my container of miso just to give it that extra salty and yep. umami flavor. Yeah, that's great. So that's the other thing I I did that was new for me was um, I'm not a big I'd never made ice cream. I know the whole world has, but I never had. I'm not a huge ice cream eater. Um, and I realized as I was getting close to the end of doing the book, I thought, oh, wait a minute, duh, you know, uh, until refrigeration and freezers came in, people used to use salt with ice to make the temperature to make of the it, ice right. colder 
to mm-hmm. enable ice cream to form, right? Um, because ice ice water uh, freezes at a lower temperature than uh, salt water freezes at a lower temperature than than fresh water, and so uh, I thought, well, of course I have to have ice cream recipes, just as a nod to that past. Well, okay, so what salt ingredient am I going to use to flavor these ice creams, and how do I make ice cream anyway? So I asked a friend and borrowed an ice cream, very basic ice cream maker from a friend of one of my kids. And um, and then I thought, well, okay, well, how to do something interesting that isn't sort of in every cardboard container and every you know freezer chest in grocery stores. So one of them is uh, I did two, and one of them's a, um, a, a, a ginger um, candied ginger and miso. So the the umami and the depth of flavor comes from miso, and that touch of salt. It's just it just does this wonderful thing, and it's great with the ginger. Um, and then the other one is a tamarind and chocolate chip miso ice cream. Um, so it doesn't taste of miso. You don't say, "Oh, <laughs> you know, I want miso in my soup and not in my ice cream." You, you <laughs> the ice cream. It's not like that. It's that the, the miso just gives this wonderful undernote that you can't sort of you don't know it's miso when you taste it. You just have this feeling of rounded flavor. So, uh, yeah, that was another nice surprise for me. It was like sort of, I felt like I turned into a grown up. Oh, now I know how to make ice cream. (laughs) Well, it's interesting how a lot of people will, well, of course, the salted caramel ice cream, that suddenly, yeah, that that, everywhere blew up, right? Mm -hmm. But just, you know, sprinkling a couple of grains of salt on something sweet makes it taste sweeter or yep. let's say of a, a fruit uh, particularly yep. melon sprinkling a little salt on melon or like or lemon juice or lime juice people will mm-hmm. use you know that just makes it a little sweeter and and tastier makes it um, pop yep right rather than thinking it has to be something you know that we attribute to saltiness all the time you know like popcorn yeah well and the other thing is you can get away with using a lot less sugar Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, you basically salt becomes then this enhancer. So you don't have to go over the top. It's not just a big blank wall of, sh- I don't have a big taste for sweets. You can tell by the way I'm talking. It's not like a big blank wall of sweetness that you're getting, but you're getting more, you're getting the sweetness, but it's, it's nuanced and, you know, uh, and more interesting, I think. Yeah. Well, you say you don't have a, you know, you're not a real sweet eater. However, you did, you did include Quite a few very nice uh, recipes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 you know, I and many like, and okay. many that are the base with we're using miso, like the miso, well, the ones that I love, of course, that I will be making are the are the, the the miso cookies with the dark chocolate chips. I mean, who oh, wouldn't love that? Right? They're wonderful, and those are <laughs> yeah. those are um, those are sort of an adaptation of a recipe that first that uh, my good friend Don Woodward, uh, often known as Don the Baker, who is a, a whole grain baker here. Um, she, she does them and she puts white chocolate and does various things with them. But I just thought, oh, I just want this, this incredible intensity of, of the whole grain and the, and the miso. And yeah, mm-hmm. they're wonderful. Very easy. And you can do that thing of freezing them, the, the, um, making a cylinder of, of the cookie dough and freezing it and then taking it out and doing it. So they're very handy to have around at Christmas the old slice or, and you know, bake, any, right? whenever <laughs> the old slice and bake, you can do that right. thing with them and, um. Um, it's pretty, and the other one I, I was thrilled about cause I'd never made this either. This is really, the, this is a book, uh, about a beginner finding her way in the world of salt, uh, <laughs> it was, um, was the, the flan, the caramel. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. And I flavored the custard, not the caramel with miso and, uh, and espresso coffee. So the, so it's like a creme caramel, um, uh, but it, and you can do it in a loaf or in a ramekin. But I, I sort of thought, I wonder how this would work. And it's so interesting how the saltiness interplays with the espresso coffee. It's a very fun combination. Interesting. Yeah. Tastes very mocha. Tastes of mocha. It's it's fascinating. Well, the one that called to me was the Breton salted butter cake. I mean, ah, yes, yeah. Oh, I mean, they've been making this for you know centuries, right? I mean, yes. in in that region, and I and I said, of course, and the saltiness and the sweet, you know, just added to bread dough, and, and that's yeah, and that c- comes from the historic location of Brittany, as I talked about in the headnote, and that recipe actually first ran in food and wine long, long ago, um, and made it into their you know 
best of the best cookbook. I was so thrilled because it's, it's a lovely, I mean, it's on its face. It's a very plain Jane version of cake, right? But it's actually just real food from a real place. So, which I think for me always has the most interesting flavor. Mm-hmm. Now, we have the advantage of looking at the book and looking at the pictures. And for those who are listening and don't, I hope that you're salivating because <laughs> then you'll have to run out and get the book because it really it really is, is worth it. It's just um, beautiful recipes, beautiful history and the writing. You had mentioned that um, in India that, you know, something salty, they'd have to make a long a long journey to get the salt. Oh, but this is in Nepal. In Nepal. In Nepal. I was going to say in mm-hmm. Nepal. And that's from, Nepal is like one of the only regions that does not have salt, its own salt. I mean, well, well, there's, ma- there's actually, that. I think there's a lot of regions that don't, but, but it's sort of, it's, we think of Himalayan salt because of this brilliant marketing, but actually yeah. there's salt up in Tibet and there's salt in India, but Nepal between the two uh, historically has had to go to either Tibet over the mountains or down into you know the 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 lowlands of India to to get salt and um, yeah it's quite a that all a those stories of salt trade is a whole other you know book and exploration really um, there's lots of history in terms of salt routes and like we talk about spice trade but salt trading so essential mm-hmm. uh, has gone on forever yeah if they didn't have it I mean it's and yeah say, yeah you gotta and- get it. And of course, yeah. taxes, that was the first thing that was ever taxed. And thank you very right. much, salt. Now yes. we have all this kinds of things that are taxed, right? The salt tax. Yes. Um, the salt tax. It led to the French Revolution, the Gavelle yeah. in France. I mean, it was That's one of the many right. things, but um, it, it was pretty important. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, I, I want to think about one other recipe here that I... And, well, while that you're I thinking about try. it, I want mm-hmm. to urge you to, to make the corned beef. Well, I no, want to no, urge but, you but, to make the corned beef, and I, I want to urge okay. you to roast it, uh, oh. as I suggest, instead of doing boiling it after yeah. to cook it. So okay. you make the corned beef; it just sits there with its spices for you know eight days or something. And I put it in the where the crisper drawer is in the fridge. That's the best place to sort of stash it while it sits in the cool, absorbing flavor. But then to finish it, instead of <clears throat> boiling it for a long time, uh, slow cooking it in water. Uh, instead, you do a quick boil to get some salt, extra salt out, and then roast it. It's the most brilliant texture. It's the most wonderful thing. And corned beef has taken on a whole new life in my imagination because of this discovery of being able to roast it and how it's. And then it's just you know you can it's there for sandwiches and so on. But uh, well, wonderful you've convinced texture, me. flavor. Yeah, so you, just go you've for definitely it. Okay. Add it to your <laughs> add it to your uh, <laughs> to your yeah. flipped pages. Yep. Because I was going to say that you, what you made so look you, the recipe you have is so easy from the way that I have always done it, is the slow cooked roast pork belly. Ah, uh, yes, it's 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 so quick and easy the way yes. that you you know the version yeah. that you give there, and it doesn't have to be boiled and then and then no no none of that stuff. and then cooked yeah. again. It's just it's it's yeah. terrific. Uh, the recipes are wonderful, and they all have such such historic background. And uh, historical background as well, um, <laughs> and the um, uh, just the, the the again the the beautiful beautiful photographs. It's as I say, it's like a travel log, um, and the and the recipe as well as the great recipes, and so, and the studio shots. I should say the studio shots were done made by Richard Jung with a yes. you know a wonderful food stylist team and so on. But the, in my house, and I'd never had that experience of having this this many photographs in a book and also having it in my house was very interesting because I needed to make um, some things like the basturma and the salt pork and so on. I had to have a, ma- a finished version and then a partway done version so that then he could shoot the, the starting version of it and then have the others <laughs> there as well. So yeah. I had this little flow chart, if you can imagine, for about a month and a half ahead of time, sort of with things that, so I could see, so I could be sure when he got here that I have the things at different stages. You see what I mean? It was yes. It was yeah. it was a quite a fascinating, <laughs> fascinating yeah, because it is problem. it is a step. It's a step by step photo. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. The photo <laughs> journey. Yeah, it was sort of. Yeah. Oh, please let it's me excellent. not miss this up. You know, it was, it was my <laughs> prayer to myself because you know he was here for only two weeks, so there was we just had to you know get it done. Um, but it was fun. I mean, and he's a wonderful. It's I think the food photographs are so sort of simple and 
accessible. They feel like, I mean, they were shot in my kitchen, but they do feel like they were, you know, um, they're friendly, not austere. Yeah. Well, if you've never made a salted egg yolk, maybe mm. never even <laughs> thought about a salted egg yolk, you look at this book and you'll think twice and you'll, and you will make it. And what I, what I was so struck by was, you know, the uses for the, the salted egg yolk. Yes. Used as a condiment more or less, right? Yeah, you can, I mean, sort of think of it as like grating on cheese, except that. And people have been using it on, on sweets, grating it onto ice cream, grating it onto strawberries, for example, onto fruit, because it's a bit salted and it's a bit rich and it's pretty because it's yellow. So, you know, the sky's the limit, really. I mean, is this, is this um, basically an Asian origin? origin? No, I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's an invention. The salted, the brined eggs are, uh, uh, as far as I know, come entirely from, from, from East Asia. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you put the whole egg in, in a, a a brine, maybe flavored, I suggest doing a flavored one. And they sit in a jar for, you know, three weeks or whatever it is. And then there they are, and they're intensely flavored because the brine travels through the shell. And um, they're wonderful. Again, they're sort of like a condiment. You put a little bit on top of a congee or a plain rice, or um, and they're just an extraordinary flavoring. And they're very pretty. But the, mm-hmm. um, and the yolks. They, but the yolks on their own, I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's a European. It's sort of a luxury thing because the whites. What are you doing with the whites? And I think the whites. Uh, you know, if you want to make meringues, then I suggest salt the yolks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's see, a beautiful, it's, it's quick. a beautiful process too. Mm-hmm, it's very well. Pretty. If if you are also, I just had the notion that if you're looking for a holiday gift, a Christmas present, now's the time. This is a book to keep, I think, on your coffee table, uh, because the pictures are are surely worth it. And you are going to find something you didn't know. You're going to read about something you didn't know, perhaps, or want to know more about. And this is the place to find it all about salt. Naomi, thank you so much. It is always a pleasure to to see a new book of yours and read a new book of yours and to talk to you about it. It's just thank you. Um, it's I like it so much. And always a treat to talk to you and and to have the time to talk. Yes, mm. yes. Mm-hmm. Again, the title of the book is The Miracle of Salt. Recipes and Techniques to Preserve, Ferment, and Transform Your Food. Naomi Duguid. Thanks again, Naomi, and thank you for listening. Again, it's been A Taste of the Past. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.